Welcome to Waiting for Review, a show that follows the journeys of two independent iOS developers. I'm Dave Knott, an iOS developer from Devon, England. And I'm Dave Wood, an iOS developer from Leicester, England. Join us as we discuss the development, code and technology of our independent journeys. Okay, just before we get started, um, just a, a, a quick notice that we'd love to invite you to our Slack channel for the show. Um, we've had a few people come and join now, so that's going really well. Um, the more the merrier, so please do reach out to us. Um, there'll be info in the show notes, or you can just reach out to us on Twitter at WFR Podcast. Just send us a message and we'll uh, we'll get you joined up. Um, also, reviews are greatly appreciated and can help us reach even more like-minded developers so if you could take the time to leave us a review on itunes that would be incredible um or if you're an overcast user just simply hitting the star button to recommend us helps us a great deal thanks very much so this week we were going to discuss different business models for apps um from sort of paid up front through to subscription models and freemium um and whether there is sort of scope for other types of business models and um, different types of things that we could consider with our apps. Um, Dave, I know you have some thoughts on this with, with one of your apps. Um, whereabouts are you at with all that now? Um, kind of thinking about it with two apps, um, my two sort of main apps, uh, both Armchair and Space Readers. So Armchair, we've spoken about a little bit in the past, yeah, uh, in recent episodes. So I'm doing an upgrade kind of like a 3.0 at the moment which is still in development <laughs> um, development continues at a pace that maybe should be a bit quicker but hey that's um, for your um your remote control app for cody that's right yes yeah. so i'm thinking to go in subscription with that one so the idea is is that it would be ad supported and then the subscription will remove the ads and throw in a perk or two such as dark mode um and there's maybe a couple of other little things i've got in mind but the the key thing is I, I don't want to be sort of paywalling off vast sections of my app. I, I want everyone to have you know, the majority of the app just out of the box. They can have it. Um, yeah. So that's basically my main reason for doing it is because it kind of makes me feel bad that all not all of the users are getting kind of the app that I've that I want them to have. So I think subscription could uh, make a lot of sense there because hopefully my user base will grow as a result of more of the app being available from the offset. And in time, a certain percentage of those people would hopefully subscribe. And then that's kind of the recurring revenue box ticked as well with the whole subscription thing. Um, Because the in-app purchase at the moment is fine, but then that's it. I don't get any more money ever again. Um, Yeah. Which, you know, when you look at it on a longer time scale, that that's a problem because I, I want to, I really want to develop this app. I want to make it better and improve it. And I love getting feedback from users, which I get and that, yeah, they are they inevitably, they normally ask for more features and cool ideas. And I love all that. I love kind of having discussions with users. Um, but I, I need to be able to justify carrying on developing it. Yeah. Um, so I think subscription there makes sense. Um, not least because in the second year, if people subscribe again, or rather don't cancel their subscription, you get 85% of the revenue versus the 70. So that's a nice perk as well. Um, Space Readers is a little bit different. Space Readers is an app I made to help kids um, learn to read 
by recognizing words by kind of the outline that the, sh- the shape of the word makes. Yeah. Um, so currently it is in the app store for free with an app purchase. So I've kind of divided all of the, the words. There's about 300 words in total at the moment in the app. And I've kind of split those up into, into planets. So you get the first planet for, for free. Um, which contains, ooh, I don't know, 30, 40 of the words. And then there's extra planets that you can buy as, as you go through. But I, I feel a little bit uncomfortable just with that whole approach, just because of the category that the app's in, just because kind of the word education's been thrown into the mix. And I I don't know if in-app purchases is, is going to resonate very well with kind of the audience I'm targeting. Yeah. because. I'd be interested to see what your kind of thoughts are on this because it's going to be sort of kids using the app, possibly with or without the supervision of a, of an adult. But I'm pretty certain that the person that's going to download, buy the app, and pay for any in-app purchases is going to either be you know the parent or like maybe a teacher using it in a classroom. Yeah, and I, I don't know. It just feels a little bit out of place, maybe in that environment to be kind of pestering for in-app purchases i wonder whether paid up front would make more sense especially in an educational Um, environment Um, in an educational environment paid up front um could could make a lot more sense and you could potentially offer um sort of edu pricing there um yeah because there's a box you can purchase yeah Yeah. in itunes connect you can say um volume discount for educational uh, institutions yeah and it's something i thought about with um with my hologram app actually because um quite a while ago now but sort of about two months after i launched it i had a massive volume of downloads um and i managed to sort of trace back through the data and that looked like it was probably a school that had bought a load of, of licenses um all at once mm-hmm. um because that traced back to a data source of desktop and it was it was just far and higher than the regular amount of purchases that I was receiving at that time on any other day. Um, and then I kind of saw them all come online a few days later, all on, on the same day as well. Right. Um, sort of through through Crashlytics. Um, but I didn't offer, and I still don't offer, um, educational bundling on that app. Um, and it's something I probably should because it's. You know, at least you're leaving yourself open to that opportunity then. Um, But I think in terms of what you were saying about the in-app purchases and that side of things with with your app there, um, that does feel a little bit awkward for for an educational app, I think. Yeah, I'm Um, feeling that very much. Yeah, I mean, as as a parent with with two young boys... um, that sort of thing kind of grates on me at times because in one child has it and they have their own um they now have their own um devices each um they've they've got hand me downs um from myself and my wife um and we've got family sharing turned on and that's great but then in that purchases are separate to family sharing and you can't share those um and so, yeah, if there's an, if there's a game or something that is is constantly pestering for in-app purchases, that actually goes counter to sort of the way we're using family sharing, um, 
Whereas paid up front, I pay for it once, but I know both the kids are going to use it. Um, and for us, that, that kind of guarantees the purchase, really, in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, so it sounds really odd, but I kind of do wonder whether um, a, a sort of paid up front full version of the app and then maybe like a, a light version of the app it could actually be an interesting model for you there. It feels like we're going back to like year one of the app store, doesn't it? With the whole light yes. and pro. Yeah. And, and that's why it says it, it sounds kind of odd and it feels kind of at right angles, but I do wonder whether, and you, you probably need to get hold of some more data here really. Um, but if you assume that the, that, that that particular market and segment may be preferring paid up front, then yeah, I think you need to look at well, how do I get them through that that sort of front door? Um, mm. So because you're still going to have the friction of of okay, I've got to pay to get this. Um, so that's uh, sort of where the uh, the freebie, the light version, kind of comes in. Yeah, um, um, I mean, perhaps a new app store might help in some small way because um, it kind of gives you a better platform to pitch your app. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, um, with, especially with the auto playing videos, it might kind of grab someone's attention and maybe get them through to a purchase. Um, um, this this could also be this could also be somewhere where um, the changes to subscriptions may actually help as well. Um, I mean, obviously, it doesn't really help in terms of um, the VDU pricing, and I'm not sure where that that sits within subscriptions at all. Um, but from a, um, a sort of parent's point of view, if it was um, an annual subscription uh, that arguably I could think about cancelling any time I felt like, and I've already bought that first year, and you were to pair it up with um, with a trial period on the subscription ahead of that, is that is that a combination you could do? I think it is, yeah. Yeah, so maybe like a, a week's trial or... or you know something relatively short actually um but then beyond that the the subscription price is an annual cost and it's closer to buying the app as paid up front um yeah. that that could be could be another way of kind of of bringing things to a sort of try before you buy but but ultimately still asking for you know the the, the correct amount of payment if you like rather than slashing your prices all the way down yeah, that's a good point. It would be nice um, to kind of have that recurring or potential recurring revenue. Um, but it's interesting. Yeah. I was reading the App Store guidelines earlier, and it's kind of, it's easy, I think, to get lured in by subscriptions. Uh, yeah, as a developer, thinking, yeah, if I just you know put a subscription in, someone buys it, and then they forget about it for five years, I've got five years worth of money versus one payment. Um, yeah, but you are kind of obligating yourself as a developer then. Um, I'll just read what it says. Um, if you offer auto-renewing subscriptions, you must provide ongoing value to the customer and the subscription period must last at least seven days and be available across <clears throat> all of the user's devices. Um, then it says about, while well, the following list is not exhaustive, examples of appropriate subscriptions include new game levels, episodic content, multiplayer support, apps offer consistent substan- substantive updates, or access to large collections of or continually updated media or content. 
So yeah. essentially, <laughs> you've got to kind of actually. I guess you can't just sort of make abandonware if you think of it like that. You can't make an app yeah. and load it up full of subscriptions and just plonk it on the app store and hope people subscribe to it and then you never really update it again because otherwise why are people subscribing? Yeah. Um, Makes me wonder how that's going to be policed actually sort of in the longer term. Yeah, and how do you even sort of quantify um, what were they said about um, consistent and you know, consistent updates? Mm. How how it's because for yeah like one developer it could be very different to another developer. Yeah. Um, does I, that does that encourage a sort of little and often kind of approach to to development and updates as well, just to sort of maintain that kind of appearance of being regularly updated? Well, I don't know. It, it makes me wonder whether it's going to be turn into one of those things like where they say it, with screenshots don't include images of the device, but then everyone does it and then. <laughs> that's about it <laughs> yeah it kind of goes unnoticed i i, I think I, I still feel like even now and we're not in the early days of subscription you know subscription's been an option now for for a while hasn't it it's a couple of years a couple of years yeah has it been that long yet yeah um but it still feels like it's early days and it still it still kind of feels to me like if if that was the case that what we would see is 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 an evolution of the subscription rules over the next year um so i don't know i don't, I don't know whether there is scope here to sort of you know try it out for size and if you're not quite sort of living up to to the letter of each one of those rules then you know does that mean you're probably happy enough to kind of see how things go sort of until you're told otherwise <laughs> um you know not necessarily the best approach but you know i mean and this this gets us onto um onto another sort of side of the debate really here which is um the options that are available to developers now so paid up front um free within app purchase um and then subscriptions um you end up in a situation where if you're not careful, you are kind of crowbarring your app into one model or the other and not necessarily thinking about what the best, um, what the best option might actually be for that, that app and that market. Um, I, I think I'm, I'm dodging around the, uh, the subject here, but this, this is, this is kind of um, where, sort of um upgrades kind of come into into the mix it's it's an option that we don't have um, yeah sort of access to paid upgrades um yeah and i, I know you've you've got some thoughts on that as well really um because we, we've talked about this a few times before yeah and I'll, I'll keep banging this drum until until i see results from apple i think um i mean I, I keep i've said it many times free trials i think that that has to happen yeah i can't i can't see a, a good reason for it to not happen therefore i'm kind of left wondering well, why isn't it happening um and i'm really kind of appreciative of all the changes we have seen while the app store's been under phil schiller i think it's been really really positive and i'm almost just kind of in my head, I'm thinking, yeah, well, now you know, all this other stuff's happened. This is probably just a matter of time now, as opposed to if. 
Um, mm. I hope I'm kind of hope I'm right in that assumption. I could be totally wrong. <laughs> but, um, you you but, have yeah. free trials. You have free trials for for subscriptions. Yeah, I mean, I, I want free trials for a paid app. Yeah. So if if I want to make an app and charge ten pounds for it, I want to be able to say try it for thirty days. Yeah. Fifteen days or, or you know X days, whatever that is. Um, and then like what you alluded to with paid upgrades, that is then another means of recurring revenue without having to jump on the subscription bandwagon. Yeah. Um, because it might be, you know, fast forward six months, year, 18 months, it could just be like all these apps, whatever you touch now, you end up having to subscribe to them, which people might not like in the, in the longer term. I don't know. We'll have to see how that pans out. But I think it's definite value in giving us developers a, a way to get, it feels like if you look at the the three models we just spoke uh, spoke about, so paid up front, freemium, and subscription, freemium yep. and subscription, both of those two have an inroad that the user can kind of try before they buy. Yeah. Whereas paid up front has absolutely nothing. You just got to pay. I mean, yeah, sure, yeah. you can probably you could probably get a refund from Apple if you really hated the app and felt bad about your purchase, but. Most people don't think like that when they see a button that has kind of, you know, six ninety nine, and you press it and then you've got a touch ID to, yeah, that, that feels like you're spending real money. And you are. Yep, there's an awful lot of friction at that moment. Yeah, but if there was a, a try button, I'm yeah. problem solved <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Um, but then you could say, oh, yeah, but if you only, you know, do you pay up front, then how does a developer make recurring revenue? And then what you just said about paid upgrades, that solves that problem because... You could then be working away in the background on a 2.0, 3.0, whatever, and yeah. then come out come out of upgrade pricing. Um, that to me makes an awful lot of sense. It does, and I, I mean, there there are kind of options available for paid upfront um, in a sense for upgrades. Um, sort of even with today's setup and and, and the app store as well. Um, now that I think about it, it's something that I've been thinking about with um, with my video mixing app, um, GoVJ. That's paid up front, and I've got, I mean, I've got a very busy year ahead of me at the moment, um, and not a lot of time to really give it the development it needs right now. Um, but longer term, the, the plan for me is to update um, the app as it is, um, so it's a two-channel video mixer, and there's a few other features I want it to have. Um, but for me, adding those features in is is, is going to make it a 2.0 instead of, at the moment, it's like a 1.5. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of what I've been thinking of with the existing sort of paid-up-front model is um, I could issue a 2.0 that is a completely separate um, app. You know, it, it is literally go VJ two. Um, but what I could do, and I could stick to the paid up front model here with the app. But what I could do is I could offer it in a a bundle um, with the original app. Um, and so, in that sense, if I bundle it with the original app, I could offer a discount back to people who have bought the app already. So, if you bought one you can get the bundle, and it's only like it's like another couple of quid instead of being you know having to buy the whole app all over again at at the top price um is that so like you kind of complete the bundle so if you've got one you buy 
yeah. the other, and you just pay a, yeah. a small amount. Okay. Yes. So that that is one kind of clunky way I could do upgrade pricing. Um, and yeah, I, there's a couple of other reasons that I might actually go for that as an option. Um, not least of which, if I time it for after iOS 11, then I can kind of cut off support for some of the really old devices um, with 2.0. Um, which I'd actually be, be quite happy to do because they don't necessarily mix video as well as, as the more recent devices. Um, sure. And it would mean I could kind of start looking into using um, iOS 11 specific um, APIs and, and, and everything else. So I may go for that, but it feels extremely clunky. Um, and it's, um, I mean, I'm going to have to sell the app all over again. And in some ways that's fine. You know, I, I, I kind of do the marketing push that I need to do with my app anyway. And at that point I'm then pushing version 2.0 and the bundle is then there as a sort of backstop for people that are like, hang on a second. I only bought this last month, you know, and I can sort of say, well, you can have version version 2.0. It, it's, it's just another pound or, or whatever it works out to if I bundle them. Um, so that is that is kind of an option for upgrade pricing, but it still leaves me with an app that is on the paid up front model. And it still leaves me in a circumstance where, you know, two, three years down the track, I'm still issuing updates. I've potentially exhausted the immediate market that might be there for that app, and I'm getting a trickle of things flow through. Do I? Have I really chosen the right model at that point? I'm, I'm not sure. Um, and. Equally, it's hard enough at the moment sort of charging. At the moment, I charge around um, $6.99 to $9.99 for the app. Um, Mm -hmm. Every other month, I kind of tweak the pricing. Um, There's a bit of a sort of pricing, not quite. It's a bit of a cold war with some of the other apps in the same space. Um, I noticed I dropped my price, they dropped their price, and then, yeah, one or the other of us nudges back up. Um, Fair enough. There is a bit of competition. but uh, yeah, I'm still then in that sort of space with the app, and longer term, I kind of want to get to a, a, a sort of more a more pro version of the app that again will be a separate a separate app as well. Um, and for that, I really don't know how I would like to monetize it. Um, I actually, come round to um, the sort of free trial kind of view of the world that you, that you really like. Um, because I would like to have an app that is, you know, a, a video mixer app for the iPad Pro, essentially designed with that in mind, um, that will be able to do a lot more things than I can sort of get away with on on the size of the iPhone screen. Um, and um, for that, I would like to be sort of nudging way out of the the nine ninety nine bracket and and into sort of you know maybe into the twenty or thirty kind of mark. See for that, you would definitely need a free trial to get me to get me anywhere near that as a consumer. I would need a free yep. trial, and I think that's it, going to become even more important, especially now with iOS 11. The kind of the pitch being, this really is a proper computer now, guys, and you should yep. treat it like that. It's like, well, okay, then if if we're going to treat it like that, then the apps we're going to need more sort of pro level apps on it, which are yep. presumably going to cost more to develop. Therefore, you know, cost more to the consumer. So I think almost trials are going to become of way more importance 
especially when you know the iPad gets its flavor of iOS 11. Yep. And and that that leaves me kind of wondering what my my options are really. Um because I, I don't think I can push paid up front into that bracket. Um without sort of finding a way to you know like a light version of the app or something like that that then feels really clunky um because okay they install the free version that's hobbled but you've then got to bring them and convert them over to the real version of the app and there's there's no way of doing that that doesn't feel clunky because you've got to download the app again Mm -hmm. and you know um so um that leaves me wondering do i go into a um sort of subscription model but maybe with a um a kind of combination so is there a world where it's free to install and it's kind of hobbled in some way but um a subscription gets you out of that or a reasonably hefty in-app purchase gives you kind of lifetime membership as it were um and you know, if you've got one or the other active, then the app then then operates um, at full capacity with with all of the features. Um, and that might be something I consider, because that would enable me to be, you know, lowest friction possible to install the app. There's the opportunity to either have recurring revenue on some basis with the subscription model, um, and then the in-app purchase is there for people who hate subscriptions. Um, and they can then choose to, you know, pay pay me that that price if you like to have the app outright for essentially its lifetime. It's going to be interesting um, to see how people's perception of an app's value changes, especially in light of um, iOS 11 with with it, you know, the iPad becoming more of a, more of a computer. So I don't know what you feel about this, but to me, I I feel like. A person, you know, someone's perception of an app's value is sort of low by default. Yes, yeah, it well, seems I, that way. Like we've had the race to the bottom on the app store, where everything is now kind of free, but not really free, but it seems like it's free. Therefore, yeah. you know, an app is considered to be a very cheap commodity. Um, I, I just kind of find find that interesting because um, I was talking to someone in a bar a couple of weeks ago about how I was thinking about charging up front for space readers and I kind of floated the price of about three or four pounds um, and their reaction was oh well that's a bit expensive isn't it and then w- within seconds they were handing over I think seven or eight pounds for like two drinks <laughs> <laughs> I'm like really <laughs> yeah um, so I I to me, my kind of reaction is, how is £3 expensive for a piece of software that's required a, you know, a software developer to spend hours and hours on it? And, yeah. and yet you're willing just to throw away double, triple that on on, on, a, on a drink that's... I don't know, it just doesn't add up to me. Maybe it's just me. Um, it's, it's a tricky one. I know the argument is that... Um, you know, the, the counter-argument to that that I've heard a few times is that um, the drink is a known quantity. You know, they they know exactly what they're getting for that that eight pounds, as it were. Um and so that that's an easier purchasing decision to make. Um whereas, you know, you've gone through the app store or however and you've found the app and you think it might be the one that 
solves the problem it is that you've got, but you don't know for sure. Um, and the friction in that moment over parting with three pounds is because they really don't know at that stage what the experience is going to be and, and whether it's really going to solve their problem or not. It's a gamble, basically. Yeah. Yeah, whereas the drink is is a dead cert. You know, I know I like that drink. I've had it every other time I've been here. Um, so, And again, that kind of yeah. rolls back into the whole free trial thing because if you offer a free trial, the user then has an opportunity to make their own determination of what that app's value is relative to yeah. their requirements. Because if you let them have it, let's say you're making a fairly pro-level app, um, if you let a user have the app for... 15 30 days say that's yeah. enough time for it to become part of a workflow isn't it really and once you get settled into it and it becomes part of your sort of daily routine that app then holds significant value to that user yes. so when you know the little prompt comes up saying oh hey your trial's over um if you want to buy it it's 17.99 you're probably going to probably going to go for it i would have said um especially if you're a professional that charges a reasonable amount for your you know your time per hour the amount of time it's going to take you to re-engineer your workflow (laughs) you're probably uh probably off balance there on on the hourly rate versus what the app's going to cost you so Um, sorry go on no I i think you're right um as well with what you were saying before about with ios 11 and you know the push for the ipad to be sort of seen more in its own right as, as a professional platform and a computer um, that, um, you know, we, we're going to have to have, have that sort of option, that sort of pricing to, to enable those sort of apps to exist. I kind of feel optimistic about it in a way in that it could overall kind of raise the bar in terms of what people, how people value apps just on the basis that it, that could kind of, if it raises on the iPad, it might kind of have the halo effect on other apps on maybe just like iPhones. I, I don't know. Mm. I may, may be thinking a little bit too far outside the box here, but <laughs> a bit wishful thinking, but I can't, it, it might be, it can only be a good thing. I think if people sort of hold their apps in higher regard on their iPad, that may well trickle down. I don't know. I have to wait and see on that. Yeah. All those, all those people who are happy to pay that on the iPad are also appreciative of having, you know, spin-offs or additional versions that sort of work with the, with those apps on the phone as well. Mm. Yeah. Um because you you your your segmenting of the customer base if you like is is already kind of done for you. You know, those people who are who love their iPads and who are then also prepared to pay decent money for software on the iPad. Um I guess there is a, a potential there for those people. Can you sell them something else for the phone that kind of works works with the thing that they've bought on the iPad as well? Um, and that that might be something to consider. Um, kind of using, you know, pro software on the iPad as a bit of a gateway to sort of accessory software that works with it on the phone as well, like companion apps. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Okay, so uh, as we record, it's the 10th anniversary of the launch of the iPhone. Woo! Uh, I can't believe it's 10 years. That's crazy. Uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> well, did you get the first iPhone? No, I didn't. Um, 
I, I got the um, the 3G was my first iPhone, so that was the second one that was released, wasn't it? Yeah, the same as me, in fact, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember. I think it was 8 gig. Um, it was 8 gig, and um, it was the darker model, because I I've, I've, think I've consistently had the ones with a black front. Um, whatever combination that is, space grey or uh, nowadays matte black. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't have it yeah. any other way. <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I got the, uh, what did I get? I got the 16 gig, but I got the white version. But the cool thing with the 3G slash 3GS is that if you got a white phone, you still got the um, like the black face of the phone. So when it was off, it looks like a continuous sheet of glass. Yep. Um, and I remember when they announced the iPhone 4 in white, I just looked at it and went, no, no, there's no way I'm buying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, um, when I, when I got my, um, 3G, um, I'm not sure I should be saying this on the podcast, actually. It's, it's perhaps not the best thing to own up to, but, um, there was some sort of, um, some sort of internal mess up with my contract at the time with the phone company that, um, that I bought it through. Um, they messed my tariff up for quite a few months. And then when they reset it, they actually reset my contract. And so they, they lost track. And when the next phone came out, I was due for, for an upgrade much earlier. Um, yeah. So I ended up with sort of bonus upgrade within the year, um, onto the three GS. Um, and what that meant sort of for us in our household at the time was that um my wife could actually have my 3G um and sort of by and large we've kind of been on this this rolling upgrade if you like where you know I I get the new phone she gets my my cast off um but um yeah that that rescued her cuz she was on um I can't even remember the type of Nokia it was but um it was it was the it was the Nokia um, touch screen with the stylus that was resistive um, touch, not capacitive, Ugh. and it was awful. It was the one that they advertised with the um, with the Batman film. Um, and um, yeah, I tried to dissuade her from getting it at the time, and um, yeah. Anyway, it was that life was much better in our household when she was on the phone on the iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I can't quite believe it's been uh, sort of 10 years already, really. I know. it's It boggles the mind. Um, I can remember watching the presentation of it, and I don't think, I don't think I even had a Mac at that point. It was very close to me getting a Mac, and I'm probably quite a large reason of why I did get a Mac was because I was so yeah, like, kind of wowed by what I was seeing. I think I actually got the iPhone before I got the Mac. In fact, really? no, I, I definitely, I definitely did. Yeah, I, I had an iPhone before I had a Mac. But it's kind of um, like my first ever um, sort of Steve Jobs keynote that I ever saw, and I thought, like, wow, that guy is really good. Doing <laughs> <Like laughs> presentations because at the time I was yeah. in college, and we had to give presentations every now and then, and I always dreaded them, and I was always fairly awful at them. I remember just thinking, wow, if I could just be as, as good as that guy one day, I'd be so good at giving presentations. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. I thought, oh, this is like, and it was just com- 
complete chance that I happened to see it. Um, one of my friends at college just sent me a link going, hey, you might want to look at this. I was like, oh, what is it? Some iPhone thing. I didn't, I didn't even know there was an iPhone coming out. I wasn't keeping up to date with the rumors or, or anything like I, like I am now. Yeah. It was just a complete surprise. I knew I'd heard something about there might be an iPod with a touchscreen. But at the time, I, I'd just bought an MP3 player that wasn't an iPod. I think it was a Creative Zen Sleek. I seem yeah. to recall. Um, so I wasn't really that interested. Um, but as soon as I saw this iPhone, I was like, wow, that is, I want one of those so badly. <laughs> my, my problem was, is that I was just interested in my MP3 player. I wanted my music everywhere. And yep. I would always leave the house with my wallet and my keys and my MP3 player. And yeah, you know, my family would always be like, why, why wouldn't you take your mobile phone? We can never get hold of you. I'm like, well, I haven't got the pocket space. It's either the MP3 player or the phone. And I, I, I want I my music, music more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so much to their fury, I, I was never a, you know, it could never get hold of me, um, yeah, which is fine by me at the time. <laughs> I don't think I, I don't think they were too happy about it. Um, and I went through so many different phones, different Nokia's in, in like the desperate hope that I might like one of them enough to take it with me and I might be able to play some music off it. I went yeah. through various Nokia's. I think I ended up with an, an N70. Okay. Around Symbian, I think it was called. Yes. Um, just seemed to crash constantly. Um, yeah, it, I never liked that phone. So as, as, as a result, <laughs> that, that got put in the drawer as well, and I just carried on with the MP3 player. <laughs> um, so yeah, when I got the iPhone, I, I, it was unbelievable. Yeah, it was, it was such a game changer um, in a lot of ways. I mean, I think um, at that point in time, I was kind of regularly using... MMS, um, but the photos I was taking on the phone I had before were were awful. Um, and then getting the iPhone, that then sort of switched to I think at the time taking photos and emailing them um, because the cost of sending that email out of my my data was negligible compared to the sort of per MMS charge. Yeah. Um, and then obviously as time has gone on and with the introduction of iMessage and then with us both having iPhones and that side of things as well as a, as a couple and then as a family, um, you know, picture messages in iMessage, it's just part of, of everyday life. And it's kind of, um, yeah, it's a bit weird to sort of think I was being charged um, sort of quite a bit per MMS way back when, um, yeah. when that's, you know, you think nothing of just putting um you know sending a, a meme picture as a message now and that's just sent it's gone um if i was to add up the amount of pictures i send every day and sort of charge mms prices against them i think i'd be spending quite a lot of money um <laughs> so it's, it's interesting to me just how much you know day-to-day behavior has changed with the iphone as well over the last 10 years yeah it's a, it's a very very important device i think in in the history of computing that's for sure yeah, not least of which it inspired us to uh, to get into making our apps. Yeah, I mean, not to mention the whole industry that it's kind of spawned as a result of it. Yeah. It's, it's phenomenal. Yeah, and it doesn't, it feels to me like in some ways the, the industry and, and, and everything is much older than 10 years. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I sort of feel like certain things have been, you know, just a way of life for quite a while now. Um, you know, obviously working with things like iTunes Connect and 
Xcode and all of that side of stuff. Um, yeah, it kind of blows my mind that, you know, this time 10 years ago, things were quite different. Yeah, in, in a lot of ways, <laughs> certainly for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just a, just a kid in college and, yeah, the, the thought of ever owning an iPhone, I didn't have any money. I was like, was 17, 18 years old. Um, yeah. Would I have been that? Yeah, about that. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, I remember seeing it and instantly thinking, well, I won't be able to afford that and kind of just resign myself to thinking, well, I'll, I'll, I'll never have one. And that when they uh, sort of came down in price it, it, with a contract, it became a little bit more affordable. I was still massively uncomfortable with it. The first, when I first got my 3G, um, obviously I had to go on a contract. And that's the yeah. first time I'd ever been on a contract. I'd always been sort of pay as you go. Same I'm, here. I, I remember really stressing about that a lot, thinking, "Wow, so this yeah. guy, was it thirty six pounds a month? I think it was. I think with I was un- on about the same with yeah. unlimited data, um, unlimited text, and like a thousand minutes." Um, but I remember really stressing about that. I mean, I had a, I yeah. had a little part time job, but I'm thinking, "Wow, I've got I've got to find this money every month. That's a lot of money. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it." <laughs> Yes, it's interesting how your perception of everything changes. Yeah, um, and that's something that has changed over the last ten years. I think for a lot of people has been that you know the amount that people now spend on their phones is an awful lot more than it was ten years ago, so fifteen years ago. If you look back to that sort of point, um, you know, I think. The shift there has been actually, in a lot of ways, I feel like the shift has been that people are spending more on the hardware, um, and in some cases, spending a lot less on the actual sort of um, plan that they have with the the phone company. Yeah, um, I'm, for some I'm minutes kind of leaning, and data. I'm definitely leaning towards that um, with what, what whatever comes out in September. I'm kind of yeah. thinking I'm probably just going to purchase the hardware. And then I can kind of like run my own deal through whichever operator I choose. It's really, I, I don't make calls on the phone. I never make calls. People phone me occasionally and occasionally I answer, but I don't really do phone calls on the phone. Um, and even texts, I mean, SMS, I barely use. That's all iMessage, which yeah. then makes it data. So really, as long as I've got a couple of gig of data, I'm, I'm good. That's all I need. Yeah. Okay, so that just about wraps it up for today. If you've enjoyed the show, we'd love it if you could give us a review on iTunes or if you're an Overcast user. uh, It'd be great if you could recommend us by hitting the star button. Um, Also, we now have our very own Slack channel that we'd love to invite you to. Our hope is is that we can offer a great place for fellow developers to come and meet each other and hang out. Um, If you'd like to join, there'll be instructions in the show notes or you can just reach out to us directly on Twitter at WFR Podcast. So, Dave, before we go, where can people find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter at DWRoboHeads. That's RoboHeads with a Z. Um, you can also find me at DaveWood.uk. How about you, Dave? Uh, I'm on Twitter at underscore DaveNot. Uh, you can find my remote control for Cody at armchair-remote.com. And you can find my latest app, Space Readers, which helps kids learn to read at spacereaders.com. 